Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Um, would you uh, please grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, that's on page 977 in the uh, Black Bibles. In the large print it's 1,161. Ephesians chapter 4, be reading verses 1 to 16. Let's listen to God's words. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Uh, now, just have a think. How do you want to move forward as a Christian, if you'd call yourself one here this morning? How do you want to move forward? What, what does the next step look like? Just have a think. Is it something in your knowledge? Is it something in your godliness? Is it just trust? 
Or perhaps the, the, the question just baffles you. You have no idea. A step forward. It just feels too big. You're just about keeping your head above water. Or you're a new Christian and you're not really sure what that would look like at all. Well, God has a wonderful message for us this morning from Ephesians. And here he points us in the right direction. He shows us the next small steps in our walk with him. Now, we've got to a turning point in the book of Ephesians. Paul has spent three chapters telling us all that Christ has done for and in and through the church. There's hardly been a command in it. Paul's been praying deeply that we'd understand these riches. And then we get to 4 verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Here's the turning point. Uh, Here comes three more chapters. And now Paul is applying all that he's been teaching. Now, that doesn't mean he leaves the theology behind. No way. He's, he's seeking to see it played out in our lives in more and more meaningful ways. So verse 1, Paul's urging the church to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, to live lives that match the reality, that match all the wonderful blessings Christ has given us, that fit with all that he's done for us that we've been looking at over the last three chapters and many weeks here. Isn't this what we want? We're chosen, we're redeemed, we're adopted in Christ, we're we're dead people made alive, we're we're God's people united to Jesus, our head, we're we're part of God uniting everything in Christ. We want to live like it. We want our lives to match God's master plan. And and particularly in these verses we're looking at today, that means walking in a way that fits with our unity, being one people. Did you notice it in the passage, verse 3? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Paul goes, uh, just keeps going, speaking of oneness. There are seven uses of the word one in in those three verses that come up. And then again in verse 13, this idea comes up. Until we all attain to what? To the unity of the faith. A walk worthy of the gospel is one that is about unity. Remember that unity. We've seen it over the last few chapters. The the unity that brings Jew and Gentile together. That makes us all one new humanity through Christ's one death. Our lives can match that reality. And this isn't kind of a begrudging unity. No, verse 3, that we'd be eager to maintain it. He he wants us to have a love for it, an earnestness, a a zealousness for it. So what does our, our Christian walk need to be worthy, to be fitting of the unity we have in Christ? Well, firstly, we'll see a worthy walk needs character. It needs character to keep a peaceful unity. And then secondly, we see, so it needs Christ's gifts to grow a mature unity. Now, these aren't two separate things. We're going to see they're like two threads woven together, supporting, relying on each other. So firstly, let's think about character. A worthy walk needs character to keep a peaceful unity. Now, Paul doesn't start with structures here in chapter 4. He doesn't start with projects. He doesn't stand with plans or events or strategies. That's often where we begin, isn't it? He starts with character. He starts with our hearts. Verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul knows that a, a united church is a peaceful church, a church that isn't quarreling, fighting, at each other's throats. It's a peace. And to have peace, well, that requires character, a godly, Christ-like character. Now, this is going to be challenging for us all as we look at this. But let, let God's word shine a light on our hearts this morning. So we see our sin. So we repent and turn towards lives that are more and more worthy of his calling. Because firstly, Paul says, with all humility and gentleness. These are beautiful qualities, aren't they? Humility, it's a, it's a lowliness of mind, a humble nature in how you think of yourself and you think of others. Now that doesn't mean a low self-esteem, you know, always beating yourself up. Oh, I'm an awful person, God can't use me. Now God, God's never hindered by our sin, he can use us all, he made us. No, it's thinking, it's not thinking less of yourself. Instead, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Rather than always thinking of you and your gifts and your priorities and how you're doing and what your present needs are, which there may be many or not so many, all humility means we're we're preoccupied with others. Of course we need to look after ourselves. You work hard, you care for your needs, but that's not your focus. You do it so you can serve others. You may be the most gifted, talented person, but your mind isn't focused on you, but on others. You you see it in a person who does that, who's always asking after other people, putting their needs before their own. There's, there's, There's no jealousy or malice when someone else succeeds, they rejoice with them. And I wonder if humility comes from realizing we all we have is a gift anyway. A gift that we've been given for the benefit from others. A bit like you know, a friend comes around and gives you a food parcel for you to give to your next door neighbour who's in need. Now when you have that parcel, you just know it's in your possession for the benefit of someone else. It's in your possession to pass on. It's a gift for, for you to give to others. And that's the same with all we have, with our time, our talents. A humble person knows that all they have is a gift for the benefit of others and how it blesses people doesn't it brings peace humble people bring such a a a richness to the lives of the people around them and couple that with gentleness it's a glorious combination now don't think of gentleness as weakness if you're weak it's actually quite hard to be gentle gentleness is in fact strength but strength under control Think of it perhaps like a a powerful horse who's been tamed. Great strength that's used in an extremely controlled way for good. Rather than bucking around like a wild horse, it it, it can take people smoothly to safety. Gentleness. You you may have personal rights, but you do little with them. You use your strength to help other people. To lift them up from beneath rather than hauling someone up roughly from above. Think of a parent with a little child. Now the, the parent is so much stronger. It's so easy just to crush the child. But it takes a whole different kind of strength to then be gentle with them. To hold the child in a loving way. To discipline in a kind way. Gentleness doesn't crush the weak, but uses strength to lift them up for their goods. 
perhaps you've experienced that gentleness from someone. Your faith has been weak and and someone's just helped you. Perhaps you read a bit of the Bible together and they, they respectfully answered your questions rather than judging you. Gentleness, it brings peace where there might have been harsh words or sharp tongues. All humility and gentleness, they go together, don't they? It's someone using everything they have, their personal merits, their gifts, their rights, their power, whether big or small, as gifts for the good of others. Just look at Jesus. I mean, this, this was a description he, he used of himself, gentle and humble in heart, and he was. The great son of God, eternal creator, born as a creature in a manger. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. We need character, character to keep a peaceful unity. And then Paul goes on in verse 2, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience is it's that quality of being long-suffering. You know, when people are provoking you, when people are aggravating, sinning against you. Long-suffering. What an extraordinary quality it is. Not, not quick-tempered, not quick to get frustrated with the mistakes and sins of others. When we're on the receiving end of patience, now often we don't realise it, but, but what a difference it's made. It's kept the peace. It's given us time to grow and time to see our own mistakes. And bearing with one another in love, it's a similar quality, isn't it? It's a generosity to others when there's difference. It's, it's a tolerance of different views without being indifferent to truth. It's, it's coping as people are harsh to us. Both these characteristics, they take the long view, don't they? They remember God's extraordinary patience with us. God has not shown us every sin at once, but he's been patient with each one of us, changing us bit by bit. God has, he's not shown us every piece of false doctrine we've got wrong right now, but has allowed us to change and, uh, and to learn and to grow. And so we do the same with others, remembering we are all, all of us, works in progress. Often it's slow. And so we're patient, bearing with one another in love. In love. That means we don't need to remind them that we're being patient with them. These characteristics bound together in love will maintain, will solidify our unity together. We need this kind of character to keep a peaceful unity. Imagine it perhaps like a, a giant ball, okay, like a zorb if you've ever seen one. Okay, but it's a, it's a giant ball held together, kept as one by ropes and strings uh, inside of it. And people with this kind of character are acting like those strings in a sense. This kind of person holds us together, maintaining peace amongst us for the good of all. And remember, this kind of unity, it's so deeply important, it's grounded in God himself. That's why Paul keeps going, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amazing, isn't it? The, the, The one spirit who unites us as one body. The one Lord Jesus, our Savior, who we trust in. Our Father, so one family, it's the one triune God, God's unity. So we are united, so we are eager to keep the unity, eager to display these extraordinary characteristics. This is our faith. 
our baptism. We are one together. And we keep it together through this kind of character. And this kind of character is amazing to behold, isn't it? I have been on the receiving end of it so much. People being patient with me when I've been brash or unkind. Perhaps giving me a a gentle word of correction at another time. or, Or just giving me a godly example to follow. Perhaps someone who's just stayed friends with me even when they've seen my pride and my sin. In my my two and a half years here, I've seen it so often as you love each other. Be encouraged. God is at work in us. And that's when I've noticed it. Often these characteristics go unnoticed. We're slow to see it because of our own sin. Uh, Because uh, we're slow to see our own sin, which then means we're slow to see it uh, in pe- as people treat us with humility and gentleness and patience. But receiving this treatment then helps us grow in the character traits. Often when we've experienced the opposite, they leave a mark, don't they? When someone's been quick-tempered or proud, we, we're shoved down as we do the same to others. So if you if you become more like this, if you walk with gentleness and humility and patience, bearing with one another, now you probably won't get praised for it. But imagine our, our peaceful unity as we grow in this, each one of us, the deep dignity given to every person, the love and care for the weak and the strong. It's a wonderful thing. So where is Christ seeking your repentance this morning? Where have you been challenged and perhaps seen where your life is far from seeking unity? Where do you need to turn around? Turn around from pride, self-centeredness, impatience and instead walk in a different direction, in a different way, in a way of greater love. Where is your walk not fitting with all that Christ has done for us? Now remember, if you're a follower of Jesus, believing in him, you're part of God's family. You won't earn God's saving favor by changing, but instead you'll be living more in line with with who you are already. We stand forgiven at the cross, and so we walk in its light. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you'll, you'll see we are all a work in progress. We are far from perfect, but I hope, I hope as you're with us for a while, you'll start to see these characteristics grow in us. You'll see God at work, making us walk uh, more and more worthy of his calling. So we're just going to take a short moment now, uh, a moment of quiet, before we look at the rest of the passage, just to pray quietly in our hearts. Perhaps thank God for the way you've been on the receiving end of this kind of person. Perhaps just praying for his help to become more like Jesus, to walk with more humility, gentleness, patience and love. So we're just going to take it just a moment and then we'll carry on. So that was the the first thing we need. For a a worthy walk, we need character. 
character to keep a peaceful unity. But secondly, we need Christ's gifts. We need Christ's gifts to grow a mature unity. So we're now in verses 7 to 16. And in verse 7, Paul changes tack. Okay? He's, he's been focusing on oneness. But then verse 7, but grace was given to each one of you. Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's saying, yes, there's unity. But that doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean everyone is the same in what they do and how they function as part of God's people. Christ has given grace to different people to do different things. And then Paul takes this idea of gift and runs with it through looking at Psalm 68 that we sang at the beginning of our service. And here in verses 7 to 10, Paul is saying the risen Jesus Christ is, gives gifts to his church. After he descended, in other words, after he took on flesh, after his incarnation and his death, that's called his humiliation, after that he then ascended, ascended on high, he rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, his exaltation, and as the exalted one, he is like a victorious king after battle. Okay, That's the image of Psalm 68. He's given tribute, he's given the spoils of war, which he then gives out to his church. The victorious king handing out gifts to his people. But what, uh, what does he want the church to have? What is his gift? Well, it's people. Did you see that? Jesus gives the church certain people in certain roles for the church's good. Just have a look at verse 11. Okay, first, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of uh, the body of Christ. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list of all the different things people do in church. Okay, We'll, we'll come on to that. No, um, but there's something that links these all together. They're all people who bring and teach God's word to the church. They're all ministers of God's word in different ways. That is the gift um, that Christ gives that Paul wants us to see. So firstly, Christ gave the apostles and prophets. Now this first combination has actually come up a number of times in Ephesians. In chapter 2 verse 20, Paul said the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Then in 3 verse 5 he said, The mystery of God's will has been revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This suggests this gift of Jesus's is a foundational gift. It's a one-off gift. These apostles and prophets Paul is talking about came once. Just think a foundation can only be laid once. The mystery of God's purposes can only be revealed for the first time once. So these guys were given to the church um, so the church might understand how all of God's purposes come together in Christ. Purposes laid down in the Old Testament, coming together in Jesus, God's Son. And that's what the New Testament is. It's the writings of God's apostles and prophets. It's the foundation uh, for his church. We, we have God's word because of this gift given back in the first century when Jesus died and rose again. So that means there aren't now apostles and prophets like Paul is talking about here. The foundation's been laid. Yes, there are people perhaps you could describe with apostolic qualities. They lead God's people in a new place or prophetic qualities. They show a great insight into God's words. They call people back in an extraordinary perspective way. But they're not this gift, this foundational gift 
of apostles and prophets. And we thank God for this gift, don't we? This is our foundation. This is how we know the will of God and his purposes. God's word for us. And Christ has also given evangelists. Now this perhaps might be a foundational gift, but it's, it's harder to tell. It certainly seems to be a person who's distinct from everyone evangelizing to the people they meet. But it's a, it's a certain gift of bringing the good news to people. What a gift to the church again. Certain people called to share the good news of Jesus in a powerful way. And again, it's a gift that brings God's word to people. And lastly, he gives pastors and teachers Now perhaps that's one role, pastor-teachers, or two roles but very closely linked, but these are people called and tasked by Christ to take God's word, the scriptures, and use it to shepherd. That's what pastor means, it's to shepherd, to feed, to care for and direct God's flock, to teach them God's word so it can be eaten, digested, so it can rejuvenate us. These are the the people the Bible also calls elders. All these gifts, different ministers of the words, are given to bring God's word to people. To speak God's truth in love, as uh, Paul says in verse 15. In other words, speaking God's words combined with that character, that godly character that we looked at in verses 2 and 3. They're to bring truth lovingly into the lives of the church. Now why? Well, what's the goal? Well, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ has given these gifts to the church, in particular, to bring about the mature unity of the church, a grown-up unity. And it's a maturity that's stable, It's not like children, he says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now the picture here is a boat, isn't it? It's a boat that's lost its anchor. It's got no moorings. Just imagine it, every wave pushing it right and left and up and down. The wind drags it miles away from its meant to be. One way, one moment, another way, another. But a mature well-pastored and taught church, a church that has these gifts, that is a church that has a sturdy anchor. It is a church that is stable. And not only is it stable, it keeps growing in maturity. In verse 15, rather than shifting the whole time, we grow up in every way into him. Verse 16, we're joined and held together, so we grow and build up. Growth and maturity leads to more growth and maturity. We need Christ's gifts. We need Christ's word gifts to grow a mature unity. These gifts are, think of it like a building site. Okay, As the word is is brought, it, it cuts stones and shapes them and cements them together, building a sturdy, beautiful building. Or think of it like a hospital. The word comes in, it heals the body, it, it cleanses it, it transforms it. Or think of it like a gym. The word strengthens the body. It equips every ligament, building up stamina and strength so the body may function with more power and and dynamism. The word of God being brought and taught by Christ's gifts, by Christ's appointed elders, matters deeply for the good of the church. If a church is going to grow in mature unity, it needs Christ's elders 
to shepherd it with Christ's word. Now yes, quiet times are important as are home groups and small groups but they do not replace Christ's appointed elders teaching and preaching Christ's word. It's Jesus' particular means of grace to his people. It's his gift to the church. So that's why as a church, as a denomination, we must take eldership seriously. Elders training, elder ordination. So the elders are grounded in God's word. They show godly character. And please, please pray for your elders. Pray for us. This is a great privilege, but it's also a weighty one. Pray that we might be the best possible gift for the church. That we might always bring Christ on his word to people in truth and love, in season and out of season. We need Christ's gift, his his gift of ministers of the word to, to grow in mature unity. This is because this unity happens as all part as they should. Paul's focus on these particular gifts isn't to say to the rest of us, just sit back and be passive. No, right from verse 7, did you notice? Grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us, not just a few. Then verse 12, why does Jesus give the ministers of the word to equip the saints for the works of ministry? Then verse 15 and 16, We are to grow up in every way, verse 15. Then how does that happen, verse 16, when each part is working properly? God's word is to transform all our lives. It's to bring about a worthy walk in all of us. So we're all using the grace Christ has given us. We're all serving and working properly to bring unity. We are like a body. In a body, there are lots of different bits, aren't there? Whether they're veins or eyes or hairs or kidneys or toes. You know, each bit matters. Each bit works together for the good of the whole body. And the body is strengthened as the body is anchored, to mix my metaphors a bit there. But, but all, all the parts work more and more as they should for the good of each other. The word of God transforms our lives into lives of service. Uh, that's what the word ministry is all about in verse 12. For the work of ministry, it's service. Now that may include more formal things. It may be like running Sunday school or being on the welcome team. But it's a much broader word than that. It's serving one another. Ser- serving each other practically and spiritually. It's, it's pointing people to Christ with an encouraging word after church, or it's helping someone who needs financial help. So if you're wondering how to serve the church today, after the service, just turn to the person next to you and get to know them. See how you can serve them. And that's with exactly the character we saw in verses 2 and 3, isn't it? With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. These, these two aspects aren't separate, but they feed off each other. The word preached changes us to have the character of servants. Dig deeply into God's word. Come and hear it preached morning and evening. Listen to it. Obey it and watch as you see God's family grow into a mature unity as you grow in serving others, doing your part. It's Christ's work. It's his word preached in love by his ministers. It grows his church family that serves each other in love, a family that walks with lives, with lives worthy of our calling. 
A worthy walk needs character to keep a peaceful unity, so it needs Christ's gifts to show a mature unity. Jesus loves his church. He loves us. He died for her. He longs for her to be united in love, living in harmony. So he cares for her to help to help us take the next steps forward. He gives us preachers of his words and by his spirit he builds us up in every way into him. What a great saviour we have. Amen.